We're in a series right now called My Prayer for You. And this series is about different prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for his friends in various churches. Started it last week, and I told you last week that every one of the prayers we're going to be looking at are what we would call prison prayers. And that is, the Apostle Paul wrote these prayers while imprisoned in Rome. Around AD 60 to 62, somewhere along in there, Paul was imprisoned in Rome for preaching the gospel. And as he was in prison, he wrote to three churches and to one individual. He wrote to the church at Philippi, to the church at at Ephesus, and the church at Colossae. Uh, And then he also wrote to Philemon, an individual. And in those letters, Paul wrote three different prayers to say to these dear people, I'm praying for you. I'm not just confined into this prison, worried about what I'm going to experience or what awaits me. I'm not just in this prison uh, wrestling with my own doubts. I'm not just in this prison having a pity party. But I'm taking the time that I have here in this prison to pray for you. And I told you last Sunday that what Paul prays is actually a very good model for us to use to pray for others as well. And so last Sunday we were looking at Ephesians chapter 1, and I kept emphasizing last Sunday that this is a prayer that you would pray for another believer. And I had someone ask me after the service, could you not pray that prayer for a non-Christian? Why are you saying that we only pray this for believers? So I just want to clarify that, because I thought it was a very good question. Uh, the, the letter that Paul wrote called, Ephes- called Ephesians was written to the believers in Ephesus. And so he was writing to believers and saying, I want the eyes of your heart to be open so you can understand what you have in Jesus Christ. So he's writing to believers. And so that's the reason I was saying that last week. But you could use that prayer last Sunday or the prayer we're going to be looking at today and change it just a little bit to say, Lord, I'm praying for this person who does not know you that they will come to faith in Christ and experience what this prayer is talking about. So certainly you could use that as a model in praying for the lost as well. So if you have your Bibles, would you open God's Word with me again to the book of Ephesians, to the second prison prayer that the Apostle Paul prays uh, in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Now, would you stand in honor of God's Word as we read this text together? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established or grounded in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us fresh eyes, new understanding, deeper insights into your word, not by the eloquence of the speaker, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray for your spirit to be our teacher, your spirit to be our guide, 
And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said a moment ago, this prayer is really the second of two prison prayers that, that appear in the book of Ephesians. The first prayer, the one that we looked at last Sunday, uh, is, deals with the, the emphasis is on enlightenment. Paul is saying last week in chapter 1, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. And in other words, he said, I want you to recognize something. I want you to understand something. I, I want you to be enlightened so that you can realize what you have in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about last week. Uh, when we were looking at that text. This week, the prayer is not on enlightenment, not that the eyes of your heart would be opened. This week, the emphasis is on experience. Paul is praying in this prayer, I want you to experience God's love, and I want you to experience God's power. So, that's going to be the difference of what we, we looked at last Sunday and what we're looking at this Sunday. Last Sunday was, I want you to realize what you have. This Sunday is, I want you to experience something you may not have experienced very deeply. So let's look at the text together. The first thing that kind of grabs my attention as I read the text, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, that's not the customary posture of prayer for a Jew. Kneeling is not the customary posture. The customary posture of prayer for the Jew was standing. I'm not saying it was wrong to kneel. I'm simply saying that for the Jew, he normally would stand and pray. Paul says, no, but the thing that I'm praying about has driven me to my knees. In other words, kneeling to pray was a way of expressing deep emotion. It was a way of expressing a sense of urgency. Uh, this must have been quite an experience, not only for the Apostle Paul, but it must have been quite an experience for the guard that was chained to the Apostle Paul. As, as he was in the prison cell and, and Paul kept kneeling down with that chain around his ankle, he kept kneeling down and this prison guard watching this, this elderly missionary praying to God for the people in Ephesus. Now, I want to be clear about one thing in regards to the posture of prayer. Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to have a certain prayer posture. Abraham, for example, stood before the Lord as he prayed. David, the Bible says, sat before the Lord as he prayed. The Bible tells us that Jesus laid on his face, fell on his face as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here we're told that Paul kneeled in prayer before the Father to express his deep emotion and sense of urgency. But you know, it's much the same with us, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that if you're just quietly praying your regular, maybe quiet time prayer, you can easily do that in your recliner or in your rocking chair? Or, or maybe if, if you are so inclined, you sometimes may stand to pray, standing out in your backyard, maybe you're praying, or walking on a walk, you're, you're praying. But there are those times when sitting in a recliner or walking down the road doesn't seem sufficient, right? There are those times when you feel driven to your knees. There are those times when you have to get on your knees beside your bed because of the overwhelming burden that you have. That's what Paul is doing here. He said, I kneel before the Father. He was forced to his knees as he found himself praying for the people in the church at Ephesus. And in this prayer, there are two requests. One is a request for God to do something for them. 
And the other is a request that the people would do something in response to God. So I want to look at that. Get your pen or pencil handy as you take some notes. Because again, I want to show you another way that you can pray for other believers. I want to show you another way that you can engage in prayer for your spouse or for your children or your grandchildren or your friends who know Christ. And so here's a very good pattern of prayer for all of us. Number one, two things. Number one is this. Pray that God will work in the inner person. You probably don't pray that prayer very often. It's a very good prayer to pray. Praying for your spouse or your children or your grandchildren that God would work in the inner person. Look how Paul describes it in chapter uh, 3, verse uh, 16. He says, "I, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Mark that, in your inner being. You see, there is an inner you and an outer you. The inner you is that spiritual part of your life where God dwells and where God works. The outer you is your body. Let me show you this in Scripture. Go over to the left a couple of books and find 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly, the outer you, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The Apostle Paul was making it very clear to the church in Corinth. There are two yous. There's the outer you, your body. There's the inner you where God lives and and works in our lives. Verse 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not the outer you, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, if you're like me, more than likely you've prayed your share of outer you prayers, haven't you? If you're like me, I I was thinking about the kind of things that I pray for, and and I, 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 I listed five things. They all start with S. As I pray for my spouse, as I pray for my kids, as I pray for my grand, the world's greatest grandbaby, I, there's five things I, I generally pray for. They all start with S. I pray for safety. Every day I'm praying over my family for their safety. Every evening I'm praying for my family for their safety. Before I go to bed, I, I'm praying for my family by name. Every person in my family by name, I pray for their safety. I, I pray for sickness. I've got a son-in-law right now who's very sick, and so I've been praying for him, praying for, for him to get better. I, I pray for their spouses. I, I pray for the, the spouses that, that they will have a, a good relationship. I pray for Jonathan that God would bring a special young lady into his life. I pray for my spouse. I, I pray for success. Pray that there'll be a success in school or that there'll be a success in their work or there'll be a success in, 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 in sports. I used to pray that a lot as Jonathan was running track and everything. I pray for success. And number five, I pray for satisfaction. I pray that they'll be happy in what they're doing, happy in their marriage, happy in their life, happy in their vocation. I just pray for satisfaction that they'd be happy in what they're doing. And I've prayed every one of those prayers for my family and for my spouse. 
I want to tell you something. Every one of them is an outer you prayer. Every one of them. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But the most important prayer that you can pray for someone is not an outer you type prayer. The most important prayer that you can pray for someone is an, that God would work in the inner man, in the inner person. I can help you with this. Answer this out loud. I can help you with this. What do you need the most help with? Do you need the most help in looking like a Christian or living like a Christian? Living like a Christian. Jesus talked about this, did he not, when he said, you clean the outside of the cup and you make it look really good, the outside, but the inside is dirty, filthy. Jesus understood it's it's not the outer part of our lives that we need the most work, it's the inner part of our lives. So why is it that we spend so much time praying outer you prayers? And I think one of the reasons is because that's what we see. We see the outer you. What does God see? He sees the inner you. Apostle Paul, a spiritual giant, said, Church, I'm praying for you in Ephesus. And I'm praying that God would do something in the inner part of you. You see, it's the inner you where you face temptation. It is the inner you where you decide whether or not you're going to follow God in obedience or not. It is the inner you where you wrestle with fears and with your attitudes and with critical thoughts. It is the inner you where the battle is won or lost. Long before the outer you takes part in something, it's the inner you where the battle is fought. And so here's what Paul says, going back to Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what Paul says. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Notice that this life that we're supposed to live, we we need power to live it. This inner you, we need power. And He says that comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in you. He's the source of the power that we need in our inner being. And then he says, here's why I'm praying this. This is an important part of the text, an important part of the prayer. He says, so that, verse 17. Here's why I'm praying this prayer that God would work in your inner being. So that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's why you need to pray this this prayer. Or here's why you need to pray this prayer for your family, for your spouse, for your children, for your grandchildren. Here's why you need to pray this prayer that God would do a work in their inner being. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, the word dwell is a word you might want to mark in your Bible. The word dwell there literally means to settle down and fill at home. To settle down. And feel at home. Now, certainly, Christ was resident in the lives of the believers in Ephesus. Paul calls them the saints in chapter 1. Certainly, Jesus was resident in their life. He was present in their lives. No doubt about that. They were already saved. But Paul was praying that these Ephesian believers would have a deeper experience with Jesus Christ. He didn't want them to have a surface relationship with Jesus. 
He's praying that God would do such a work in the inner part of their lives that they would have an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. You can translate Paul's prayer this way. I yearn for the day when Christ will settle down and feel at home in your heart. Boy, isn't that an incredible prayer that you could pray for your friends or your spouse or your children? That God, I just pray you do such a work in the inner part of him, God, that Jesus would feel at home. In his heart. God, would you do such a work in my life, in my wife's life, that Jesus would fill at home in her heart? God, you know my husband, he's been kind of wayward. His priorities seem way out of a whack. God, would you do such a work in the inner part of him? Jesus would feel welcomed and at home in his heart. Now, let me say something to you. The outer needs are real, and you need to pray for those. But the inner person is where God works. You need to make sure you pray about that too. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said, For I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Watch this. He said, But Christ lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what he was saying there? I've come to realize that I need more than just the outer me to look like a Christian. I need the inner me to have a relationship with Jesus. So when he's praying for the people in Ephesus, he's praying that they would have a deep relationship with Jesus. Not just an outer surface relationship, but a deep relationship with Jesus. He said, I'm praying for you, church, that God would do a work in the inner you. So when you pray for your spouse, when you pray for your children, pray that God would work in the inner person. Don't just pray for their outer needs. Number two. When you're praying for other believers, when you're praying for your spouse or your children or grandchildren, when you're praying for other believers, here's number two. Pray that they would grasp the magnitude of God's love. This one is so important, that you would grasp the magnitude of how much they are loved. Look in verse 17 through verse 19. Second part of verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love, They have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now get this, Paul was praying in verse 16 that God would do something for them, but now in these verses he's praying that we would do something. He's saying, I pray that you... I prayed for you that you would do something. And look what he says, I pray that you would do. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. First of all, he said, I'm praying that you, you would be rooted and established in love. Those two words are important words. Rooted comes from the word of botany, the world of botany. And, and established comes from the world of building. So in the world of botany, rooted has the idea that, that you have a, a, a deep understanding of the love of Christ. That you're just like the roots of a tree, the roots of a plant go down deep and they nourish that plant. He said, I want you to have a deep understanding of how much you're loved. And then that word that he uses in verse 18 uh, or verse 17, established in love, has the idea of, of a building's foundation. 
I want this to be the foundation of your life, is what Paul is saying, that you are loved by God. Now, everybody look up here and tell you something. You know this. You know this. You know that you're loved by God. But Paul is not praying that you know this here. Watch. He's not praying that you know this here. Paul is praying that you know this here. Paul is saying, I'm praying that you have a deep understanding of how much you're loved by God. And then he makes an interesting request in verse 18 and 19. He says, I want you to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How big is the love of Christ? It's as wide as the outstretched arms of the Savior. It reaches low enough to touch the worst of sinners. And it's high enough to reconcile us to a holy God. That's how big God's love is. But Paul describes God's love this way. He uses this phrase. He says, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, it doesn't mean that you'll never know God's love. It means that that you'll never know all of God's love. That you'll never exhaust God's love. Paul wanted these Ephesians Christians to know that wherever they are in life, they're right in the middle of God's love. Maybe I can help you with this illustration. I looked up on Google, what's the largest farm in the world? The largest farm in the world is in China, and it is 22,500,000 acres. How would you like to cut the hay on that property? 22.5 million acres. That's the largest farm in the world. Now, let's just pretend that that, the, the owners of that land gave it to you. And they gave it to you with this stipulation. We just want you to kind of walk around and explore the land. It's all yours. 22,500,000 acres. It's all yours. You don't, don't use a car or a truck. Just walk around and experience this land. It's all yours. If they gave you 22,500,000 acres and they said your house is right in the middle of that land, I just walk around and explore it, here's what you would find out. You could walk for the rest of your life and you would never find the boundaries of your property. You would always just be in the middle of it. And it's that way with the love of God as well. You can walk around the rest of your life and you'll never find the boundaries of God's love. Oh, by the way, the difference is God's love doesn't have any boundaries. So watch this. So wherever you are, you're in the middle of God's love. You'll never be able to get to the end of it. You'll never, no matter where you walk in life, no matter which direction you go in life, no matter how long you go, you'll never get to the end of God's love. It's like living in the middle of 22 million acres. You can never walk to the end of it, nor could you ever find the end of it, and you'll never find the end of God's love. Paul says, I want you to grasp that. I'm praying that you understand how much God loves you. Because whether you realize it or not, you are living in the middle of His love. And wherever you are, 
whether your heart is cold or your heart is hot towards God, you're living in the middle of His love. Wherever you are, whether you believe in Him or you don't believe in Him, you're living in the middle of God's love. Whatever you're doing in life, whether it honors Him or it doesn't honor Him, you're living in the middle of God's love. And you'll never get to the boundaries where you come to the end of it. You see, that's how big God's love is. So Paul's praise, look at what he says. Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And here's the reason. Do you notice in your Bible there's a little, there's a, a big hyphen there, there's a, a line there? That, that's indicating that there's a pause. It's as if, watch this, it's as if Paul places his, his pen down and he thinks about it for a moment. And he says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Pause. Reflect on it. Then he picks up his pen and he writes these words. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Shortest translation is this. I want you to understand. I want you to experience all that God has for you. I don't want you to miss what God has for you. I'm praying you would experience all the fullness of God. Not a surface relationship with Him. But I want you to have a deep, ongoing, daily, full relationship with your Heavenly Father. And just in case you think that you're the the case that has no hope, or you're married to somebody and there's no hope, or your, your children is, is someone who has turned away from God and there's no hope. Just in case you think there's a case out there where there's no hope for people to experience what Paul's praying about, you need to look at verse 20 and 21. The doxology of the prayer, the end of the prayer is this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, that is at work, where, church? Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And I'm not going to preach on those two verses because I may be coming back to them next month in another series. I just want you to notice, Paul says, I want to tell you something. The God that we know and the God that we serve is able to do immeasurably more than anything you could ever ask or even imagine. And so when you're praying, you're praying to the God who has power. When you're praying, you're praying to the God who can do what you can't do. So when you pray for one another, pray that God would do something in the inner part of that person, in the inner man. Pray also that they would understand the magnitude of how much they're loved by God. So who's on your heart? Who's that son or that daughter or that husband or that wife or that grandchild or a personal friend? It's like, man, they're just kind of out there. Man, their heart is just getting cold. Man, they're drifting away. Man, they're not where they used to be with the Lord. They're not doing what they used to. Their heart's not in it anymore. How do you pray for them? Why don't we focus on the inner person? 
Rather than focusing on the outward stuff of what they're doing, why don't we focus on the inner person? That inner person is where God lives and that inner person is where God works. Pray that God would do a work in them, in their inner being. Pray that they would experience and understand in a fresh way the magnitude of how much they are loved by God. Because here's what I found. When God's doing a work in us, and when we experience His love in a fresh way, all of a sudden we begin to long for the fullness of God again. We begin to long for all that God has for us. And so I want to invite you to come to this altar and pray for somebody. Maybe to come to this altar and pray for yourself. Maybe it's not somebody else that's drawn distant. Maybe it's you that have grown cold and distant. Maybe it's your heart that is getting hard. And you come and pray right now. God, work in the inner me. The outer cup looks clean to everybody else, but God, I know the inner me. And I need you to do a work here. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, you can. If you'll put your faith in Him, believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins, and the Bible says He'll do a change in you, in the inner you, that it makes you so different. It's as if you are born again. You can experience that today if you put your faith in Christ. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I thank You for Your blessings and Your goodness and Your mercy that is in You every day. I thank You that You indeed work in us. So often we're praying you to do something for us. But I pray today you'll do a work in us so that we might experience your fullness and your blessings. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.